And it was only then that I realized, oh my God, I've walked right to the edge of this precipice that I never intended to do. You're listening to episode number 22 of On the Record Offscript, a politics podcast for engaged citizens, activists, and public leaders in Atlantic Canada. My name is Mark Coffin, and I'm your host. Today on the podcast, we talk with Peter Bevan Baker, leader of the Green Party of Prince Edward Island. It was only in 2015 that the Green Party of PEI earned its first seat in the province's legislature when Peter was elected, but the party has had some noteworthy accomplishments since then. Peter has been the top choice amongst Islanders for the job of Premier for the last three quarters of polling by corporate research associates. And while the party's popularity doesn't quite match his own popularity, Islanders just selected a second Green MLA, Hannah Bell, in a by-election for District 11 in late November. In my conversation with Peter, we talk about the 10 elections that it took Peter to get elected, how he persevered, how he approached getting things done as a caucus of one before he was joined by Hannah, and how his party is approaching the upcoming general election, perhaps the first election in Canada where a Green Party could have a reasonable shot at becoming the government. And we unpack what happened when Peter was removed from the PEI House of Assembly for saying a word that starts with the letter F on its final day of sitting before the holidays. I also want to apologize in advance. I say in PEI instead of on PEI a bunch of times throughout this episode. I know that's bad form, and I hope you'll forgive me. Peter Bevan Baker, welcome to the On the Record Offscript podcast. Thanks, Mark. It's really lovely to be here. The interest that I had in, in having this conversation with you was uh, really to to kind of unpack a bit for the listeners what your experience has been like in in seeking elected office and and winning elected office uh, with the Green Party, a party that when you uh, began uh, running for it wasn't necessarily. Um, an electable party, or, or certainly hadn't been elected at the time, um, to where you are now, which I understand to be, I guess, a pretty significant force in Prince Edward Island politics. So the first question I wanted to um, ask you was uh, around the fact that you've run in, took you 10 elections to get elected. And uh, I think for most people, they probably wouldn't have reached that number. And they would have called it a lot earlier. But evidently, you uh, kept with it and, and won your 10th. So I'm curious about what uh, the motivation was uh, when you got into politics running for the Green Party, and how did you persevere over over 10 elections? Well, the first part, uh, the the motivation for me getting involved in politics was having children. Um, I I first got involved with the Green Party in the early 90s, and my first child uh, was born in 89, and that was no coincidence. Hmm. I've been sort of peripherally interested in politics, although I have no particular family history, at least not no recent family history in, in politics. But I'd, I'd always been interested in how we make collective decisions. And, and when you have children, your perspective, the sort of timeline on which you view your life and, and, and your responsibility to the world, at least for me, it changed. And, and I, I, I'd read enough and I sort of felt that I knew enough to look 10 or 20 or 30 years down the road and 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 see a world uh, which was not going to be a particularly pleasant pay, place for my my children to grow up in and I was a very mm. dedicated dad I I, um, I I'm fortunate to be married to an, an amazing woman and um, who is just 
remains one of the kindest people I've ever met in my life. And we sort of made a commitment that when we were parents, we were going to really commit ourselves to that. And you, with a view that we were only going to do it once, and I wanted to do it as well as I possibly could. And I looked ahead and I sort of realized that no matter how, how good a job we did with our children, um, if the world in which they were going to have to live out their lives was going to be a place where it would be a challenge for them to live healthy, prosperous, safe um, lives, then, then what was the point? Mm. So I, I sort of started to look at making a bigger contribution to how we make collective decisions and set up a Green Party group. And we lived at that time in a, a town called Brockville, just south of Ottawa in Ontario. And there was no Green Party organization there, which is pretty typical for the time mm. 25 years ago. Um, so I got together a group of friends who I, I knew to be sort of s with similar values and principles. And and uh, we formed the what was called then the Thousand Islands Greens. And um, shortly thereafter, in 1992, there was a, a general election. And so I asked every single person in the group whether they would run as a candidate. And none of them, for a variety <laughs> of reasons, would do it. So by default, I I became the candidate, and it was just it was really not a sensible thing for me to do. I, I had at that time I had three children, um, young children. Um, I was running a dental office, uh, just very very full life, and mm. and the thought of running it an in an election was it just didn't make a lot of sense but you you mentioned in your introduction that running for the greens was not a fast track to electoral success <laughs> and I, I i was fully aware that my chances of getting elected were very slim uh, actually pretty well none so it was a safe uh -huh. thing to do um so i did um and i did you know in green terms relatively well and to my surprise i enjoyed the experience i i I was aware of how well versed I was in many of the issues and the topics and the policies that came forward in discussion. Mm -hmm. I'm always a comfortable public speaker, and I thought, "Wow, this is this is okay." Um, and and that sort of world where we we imagine that politics is this uh, never-ending, descending um, spiral into wickedness and deceit and malice. I I got none of that in my in my first few goes around. Um, hmm. So you liked the process of campaigning? Yeah, I did actually. I enjoy. didn't so much enjoy going door to door. At that time, um, I was never good at asking people for things. And I was never particularly comfortable thrusting myself on people. And, and going to somebody's door and doing exactly that, imposing hmm. yourself on them and asking them for your vote and your, their support, just it, it was something that didn't come naturally to me, and I, I sort of shied away from that. Didn't do a lot of door to door. It was sort of focused my energies and my time on on getting comfortable and being very familiar with the issues and trying to, in debates, um, present myself and the Green Party as a credible alternative. So I, I looked at those first few. I mean, I, I, that that was true for probably the first four or five efforts that I did as a, as a as a, a candidate, I looked very much as an educational exercise. I'm, okay, I'm not going to get elected, but I can at least um, learn myself. I can expand my own understanding of, of myself and the world around me. Plus, I can hopefully 
lay the foundation for somebody later on who will be able to run for the Green Party and actually get elected, never imagining that one day that person might be me. Right. And it's it sounds quite uh, counterintuitive knowing some of the lessons that are taught to candidates for the established parties. I know in the uh, 2015 election, federal election, the conservative strategy was skip debates, just knock on doors, which I think the lesson there was that, you know, that's how voters' decisions uh, are made, or at least that was the theory coming from uh, the campaign. So it's interesting to see that you sort of, uh, you know, adopted uh, what sounds like would eventually turn into sort of uh, a long game strategy to, to success. You know, I never looked at it that way, Mark, and I, I was just doing what felt comfortable for me and mm. looking at the context in which I was running as a Green Party candidate with the, that sort of low chance of success, at least right. in terms of, you know, am I going to get elected measuring success in that, in that singular way. Um, I, I, I did what I thought was, was the best use, the most sort of effective and efficient use of my time and my energies. Um, and. I, I, again, I enjoyed it. I, hmm. I, I, I think I, I put it this way, Mark. I would not have got to election number ten and had the confidence to go out as the leader at that time of the Island Green Party with the expectation of actually getting elected had I not put in the work and those years of of figuring out how to debate properly, of understanding the issues, and of trusting myself. Um, and that. Right took a long time for, for that to develop with me. And that makes sense uh, as someone who also likes to be over-prepared for things. That's sort of the, I guess, the, the self-work. What was it, do you think, that made it possible for, for voters to be ready to send you to the legislature on your on your 10th election? I think there were a number of things that, that came together. What I just said about my personal readiness in terms of, I'm, I'm now somebody who can confidently speak on pretty well any political issue that you put before me. Um, because I've, I've been talking about this for 25 years, if I don't understand it now or if I don't feel confident or comfortable in, in my interpretation of, of whether it's healthcare or education or finance or whatever, energy, transportation, right. you name it. If I, if I haven't got my head around it after 25 years, then probably I should go and find something else to do. So the, <laughs> there was a sort of a deep... A sense that I'm, I, I had confidence, I trusted myself to be able to talk on these issues um, in, in a sort of cogent and rational way. Um, I, as the leader of the party, and this is true, I think, in any jurisdiction, but it's particularly true in Prince Edward Island, um, general elections are incredibly leader-centric. And mm. all of the debates, because in part because PEI is so small, but virtually, and I, I, yeah, virtually all of the debates, there are occasionally smaller debates between candidates in the various districts, but all, all of the debates that people pay attention to are between the leaders. So right. for better or worse, um, I was suddenly thrust into the spotlight with the three other leaders of the of the parties and, and, and had to debate toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. That gave me an, an enormous exposure that I had not had before as just right. another candidate for the party. So that, that, was, an, that was another part of it. Um, I'd been living and working in my district for a long time as a dentist and as a dentist and a rural dentist you get to know people pretty well pretty intimately mm -hmm. and there was again a level of trust and I've been volunteering in my community and a whole 
raft of different ways not with ever with the sort of okay i'm laying the groundwork so i can get elected one day it was just I mean, that was just how i did it i was uh, i was never very good at some i volunteered as a soccer coach and i was really not very good at that we uh, um but i enjoyed it and my kids enjoyed playing soccer and 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 i uh, i had a a variety of things drama clubs and various things so i was well known in my community and respected in my community so it was comfortable for people to vote for me and i didn't represent um i have to be a little careful about how i put this but people a lot of people less so now but back then people had preconceptions or misconceptions about what a green party candidate should look like and sound like and i didn't fit that you know i was a i was a a, a dentist i was a um, I, I, I wasn't, I didn't look or sound particularly like what some people imagined the Green Party candidate should look like. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's, again, I'm, I'm sort of skating around this mark. <laughs> that was an important thing. It was comfortable for people to vote for me. They didn't think that they were, they were voting for something that, that didn't align with their own personal values for, for a lot of Islanders. Um, mm. we had an incumbent in my district who was a, um, uh, who was uh, a, a member of the cabinet and had not, she hadn't excelled, let me put it that way, um, and had come in for a lot of criticism just prior to the election. Um, so that was part of it. And she was a member of a liberal um, team that was entering its third, uh, the third, uh, it'd been in power for two full mandates. So all of these things sort of added up to the possibility of me getting elected. And we put all of our resources in the same way that David Kuhn managed to get elected in New Brunswick and Elizabeth May when when she first got elected. Mm-hmm. The Green Party has this um, tactic of target to win. I mean, it's not, it's not peculiar to our party. Other parties do it. But clearly the seat that if we were going to win a seat and it was sort of, oh, it would be a, take a miracle for you to get elected. It'll never happen. This is impossible. But we knew if it, if it was going to happen, it would be in my area. And, and so we put all of our meager resources, human and financial, um, mm. and I took a month off work and just absolutely hammered the doors, worked incredibly hard, prepared well for the debates, and and a miracle of miracles, I actually managed to get elected. Hmm. And uh, I happened to be tuning into the the PEI legislature session one day. It was during the debates on... Uh, electoral reform, which is an, an issue that uh, that we follow a lot here, and uh, happened to be at a time when you were giving a fairly impassioned speech uh, on uh, how you approached the challenge of, of learning to be an MLA, and you had made the reference that you had a, a long career uh, in dentistry, and there were few things that could uh, stymie you uh, when you got to work, and mentioned that being an MLA was nothing like that, and mm-hmm. that there was regularly things that kind of were challenging once you were in the legislature. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, in particular, if you could talk a bit about how, as a caucus of one in a majority situation, how you actually approached being effective as an MLA and, and what what things you were trying to achieve and how you how you did them as a as a caucus of one. Mm. Yeah, I mean that clearly that was a, a, a big question that I had to ask myself um arriving in, as you say, a majority situation in albeit a small legislature, twenty seven seats. So even though I was only a, a single member caucus, you can have a disproportionate influence in such a small place. It's an intimate house and 
and mm. your voice your voice quite literally is heard more often than for example poor elizabeth may in a house of 300 and whatever it is now as a solitary green green member although my goodness she punches way above her her weight there but it's not so difficult for me because of the intimacy and the size of our legislature so i i i have some advantages um i also went out of my way to develop good working relationships with the decision, the decision makers, with the premier. And that, that went back to the campaign trail. Actually, we didn't know each other very well before, um, the, the election in which we were both, um, returned for the first time, although it was his first attempt. Um, but, um, so we didn't know each other terribly well, but we sort of hit it off to a certain extent on the campaign trail. And even though we were clearly adversaries, um, mm. and in the house, there was a mutual respect there and a willingness. I mean, he talked about calling on our better natures was a, the phrase that he used because he wanted the legislature to be a more collaborative, uh, respectful, civil place to live and work, as did I. Uh, and I talked a lot about that on the campaign trail. So I found in the premier an ally for, for, for that, for changing the dynamic and the, the sort of atmosphere in the house. Um, I also tried to develop good working relationships with all the ministers in government and to varying degrees. I think I've managed to do that. I, I have not backed off criticizing government, uh, mm. when I felt that was required, but I've also, uh, given, uh, credit where I felt credit was due. And that's not always been the tradition of politics, either in PEI or anywhere else. So I think there was a, you know, there was a respect there for somebody who, it appeared to them anyway, was being fair, um, was not necessarily agreeing with everything they did. And it's my job to hold government to account, of course, of being a, mm. a member, but also was not, was not unwilling to say, you know what, great idea or really good job on that. And I'm so, or I'm so pleased that you're doing this and thank you for, you know, whatever. Um, right. So, so, and in doing that, even though I was one voice and again, a, a, an impotent player, I get that in a, in a majority situation, I felt that my voice was heard both individually by the other members of the house. And also because of the size of the house, um, I was able to speak to issues and Islanders would pay attention because I was every day I get to ask questions in the house. I respond to every minister's statement. Um, there, there are, certain luxuries if you like that that i have that not every other member green member in other legislatures enjoys back to the podcast in a moment you're listening to on the record off script this is a weekly podcast and if you're enjoying this episode we think you're really going to enjoy getting it every week you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for on the record off script anywhere you find podcasts if you'd like an email update each time there's a new podcast available you can subscribe on our website Go to springtide.ngo slash pbb, which is presumably where you're listening to this episode, and enter your email address in the sidebar. Again, that's springtide.ngo slash pbb. You can also use that link to share this episode on Facebook or Twitter. Because we're talking about the legislature, uh, so so before Christmas, on the last day of the sitting, you were turfed from the legislature, and uh, I thought it was interesting, and in, in just reading from uh, the CBC article you were quoted in here, h- how intentional it was by your description. You noted, I think this is you speaking in the legislature, we were given the sacred trust. We were given the sacred trust to bring forth strong and meaningful legislation that will enhance government transparency and accountability. We turned that debate, Mr. Speaker, at times into a farce. And 
the Speaker of the House took uh, issue with uh, the word farce. Um, and then later you had mentioned that um, you used the word intently. I used the word intently, and I used the word consciously. What I'm getting from that is that you had a, a sense that it would end in you uh, getting tossed from the house, knowing what you just sort of described about uh, the importance of making those relationships meaningful and genuine with members of the government and, uh, and other members of the opposition. Uh, I'd be curious just to, to know a bit about the self-talk that goes into, you know, should I call this what it is or should I obey these, you know, fairly um, arbitrary words that are prohibited to, to be used in, in the house. Sure. Well, I, um, first thing I have to say, Mark, is that it was never my intention to get thrown out of the house on that last day of the sinning. Um, it was absolutely my intention to use that word, although it was one word mm. in a fairly long and impassioned speech about the quality of debate that I'd witnessed in the house over the last, over the prior couple of days. Um, and I, I use it. So, so what happened was, and by the way, the word farce has been uttered dozens of times in the PEI legislature and never hmm. called unparliamentary. I had used it myself in my response to the throne speech just days before. Um, hmm. So I had no idea that the speaker, and by the way, it wasn't the speaker who took offense to the word. It was uh, one of the opposition members who stood up on a point of order and and said, I, I take exception to the use of the word farce, at which point uh, the speaker sort of very quietly and, and uh, in, in a non-forceful way whatsoever asked me to retract the word. And, and that's when I said those words that you just put uh, uh, back to me, that, you know what, no, I, I, I use that word intently. And I, I what I saw over the last couple of days was at times farcical. and. And I don't really want to be a part of that. Um, I would like debate in this house to be much better than it is. And then the speaker said, I really want you to retract that word. And I, and I asked for hmm. clarification. I said, are you, are you suggesting that- Mr. Speaker, are you, uh, are you considering the word farce as unparliamentary? It's very unparliamentary. I will not withdraw my remark, Mr. Speaker. And, and it was only then that I realized, oh my God, I've walked right to the edge of this precipice that I never mm -hmm. intended to do. Um, but I just defended my use of the word. Um, I felt it was, you. I can't remember the phrase you used, but so many people have told me after, you know what, you were just calling a spade a spade. It was farcical. Um, mm. And I did not, I didn't, it would have felt insincere um, for me not to have, not to have held my ground. But you're right. At that point, I knew I was getting thrown out because you don't you don't challenge the speaker if he calls something unparliamentary. But that was that was absolutely not my intention when I set out. It was because okay. um, a member on the other side, for whatever reason, was and it, they were hard words to hear. You know, basically, I was saying you're not doing your job properly um, mm. the, uh, to the government MLAs, and and that's that's hard to hear. So I wasn't. I wasn't surprised he, that one of them took exception to it, but I was surprised that he called it or suggested it was unparliamentary. And I was even more surprised when the speaker, again, after a couple of, of uh, clarifications, told me that, yes, I do consider this unparliamentary. So it was just a very weird turn of events. Hmm. Yeah, I know. I appreciate you you giving context to that. And, and from the sounds of things, you don't have uh, regrets about your choice of, of language or response to it. Um, and I wonder, I guess, is, I'm not sure how to, quite how to phrase the question, but 
Um, how do you how do you balance the need to, to call a spade a spade with the reality that to get things done you do need the government on um, at least a, a workable relationship with you uh, in order to get an influence into legislation and funding and that sort of thing? Yeah, well, I mean, there's no. I, I wish there was a formulaic um, answer <laughs> to that, a logarithm that you could look up and figure out where you know where the balance point is because it's moving all the time, of course, depending on the context on the issue being discussed, on uh, on whether it's a, a, a topic that government is willing to give a little on, um, on how, on a whole, so many different, different factors that you have to take into account continuously. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure what the answer to that is. Um, what, what I can tell you is that I, it became inc- probably increasingly clear to me or clear to the point where the level of frustration caused me to use that word um, that as a single member well actually there were two of us at that point um, Hannah had taken her seat as the second green MLA but um, if government if a majority government wants to get something done wants to pass some legislation no matter how well reasoned your arguments are against it or the amendments that you present um, if they don't, if they don't want to have anything to do with that, they'll just they'll just ram it through. And of course, I know that. I, I, hmm. Politics were it's not it wasn't a naivety. It was just the 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 absolute starkness of how it was done in those last couple of days. Where at one point, amendments not by myself but by the official opposition uh, were read out, copies made by the by the clerks of the house, and the pages were before the pages had even distributed them to the government side, they were ready to vote them down before they'd even read what these amendments were. And, and these were important pieces of legislation. They weren't, you know, they weren't little uh, housekeeping things. They were big pieces of legislation. Mm. And here government members were willing to whip the vote to the point where they didn't, they weren't even interested in reading the content of the amendment before they voted on it. And that, that I mean, I'd never quite seen anything that bad before. I'd seen clearly seen whip votes, and I mean that again. That's not news to anybody, but for it to be done mm-hmm. so overtly, and and for the the lack of interest in trying to make the legislation that we're passing in in that house the best it can possibly be, and that's not to say that all amendments that come forward are necessarily going to improve the legislation. But let's talk about it. Um, and they weren't even willing, never mind talk about it, they weren't even willing to think about it. And, and that's what really upset me. And that's, that's what brought me to the, to the point of, of using the, the F word. <laughs> right, the five letter one. Right. <laughs> so I'd like to shift gears and, and talk a bit about positive news that came at the, the end of the year for your party. So the end of November, a second Green Party member uh, is elected to the legislature in PEI. Uh, in a by-election and uh, looking at you know what public opinion has been over the last little while in, in PEI, it shows you being Islanders' top choice for premier in the last three quarters worth of, uh, of CRA polls, with the party's support not quite matching your own popularity. Um, it, I, I guess it's clear looking at the polls that the Greens have a, f- a force and, and have a, a standing in PEI that uh, neither federally nor really provincially um, is uh, is mirrored elsewhere. Obviously, the last election was a big win in getting a seat in the legislature, getting a second seat in a by-election is a big one too. As you look ahead to the next general election, 
what what is the party's strategy? What is your end game? Uh, just be curious to hear you talk a bit about, uh, I guess, what you're what you're preparing for. Hmm. Well, it's interesting you should ask me that question at seven thirty four on Sunday evening because I just came from an all day uh, strategic planning session with um, provincial council shadow cabinet and a bunch of sort of high level people within the provincial party here. We were we worked together from nine o'clock till four thirty today. Trying to trying to come to an answer to the, that exact question, <laughs> what huh. what what should our party plan for and expect? What what are some reasonable expectations going into the next election? I mean, we talked about other things, of course, but that was fundamentally that's the question that we were answering. And well, I can't say that we came up with a with a clear definitive answer, except to say that the poss- any possibilities, including that of forming government, were discussed. Um, hmm. it's, it's a strange and at times fickle place to live and work. And there seems to be not just in Prince Edward Island, but, but globally, actually, um, a revolt against politics as usual, conventional politics and conventional politicians and a yearning for something else. Now that something else can come in various forms and people have embraced, and we just have to look south of the border to see what what people consider to be different from whatever you think of Donald Trump, he's certainly not a conventional politician. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other successes around the world, not perhaps on quite the scale of Mr. Trump in, in the US, but examples where uh, fresh voices, different approaches, and a, perhaps an authenticity, which is not typical of traditional political voices, or people are yearning for that. And I think what you're seeing here on Prince Edward Island, and I'm not trying to compare myself with Donald Trump, let me be absolutely clear about that, <laughs> nor our party with the Republican Party. But I think what people are looking for is a, a different voice, an authentic voice uh, that they can identify with and, and which doesn't sound like more of the same politics that they've had for well on Prince Edward Island now 180 years of, of responsible government. And we're lucky, I think, to come at the right time. Um, I've had two and a half years to establish myself as a political leader and as a voice in island politics. And for whatever reason, I, it resonates with islanders and who, who knows why that is. Um, but, I, but I'm happy for that. But far more importantly for me, um, Islanders are starting to recognize, and I think Hannah's election in November is the first sort of concrete example or, or result of that, that, that the Green Party is, is no longer considered a fringe player here, that we're a credible government in waiting, and that there's a level of comfort about the policies that we are promoting. And, but more importantly, I think the values that the Green Party is built on, that were founded on these principles that... that not just the Green Party of Prince Edward Island, but of Canada and around the world, the values that we are that, that sustain us and from which all of our policies and our platform flows um, resonate with Islanders. The Islanders' values, let me put it this way, Islanders' values are Green Party values. And that, that I think, for a lot of people is a revelation. They've never imagined that um, this party, which, again, I mentioned earlier in our conversation that some of them had prejudices about and misconceptions, might actually mm. be something that, that would fit with their own personal values and could provide um, a different f- 
a, a new opportunity for governance, which, I mean, we flip-flopped here between the red and the blue team almost perfectly every two or three elections for 180 years. And, and there's a level of dismay and disappointment, uh, disgruntlement with, with disgust even in, in some areas with uh, conventional politics. And before they only had, you know, okay, well, we're fed up with the red guy. So it's, it's the blue, it's the blue team's turn. Um, now there's this new flavor, if you like, the new color out there that, that, certainly isn't familiar to them, but is now comfortable enough that enough islanders are, are willing to at least consider voting for us. And that, that's just a sea change, you know, when, when you cross that, when you cross that, that, or that tipping point, if you like, where, and now 25% of islanders, I think, in the last CRA poll, are, choose the Green Party as their first choice. That's, that's really significant. And that sort of encourages other people who might not consider the Green Party as a place where they could park their vote to look at us, to listen to us, and and to hear what they what they may be surprised to find is actually rational people providing sensible options for for governance. And so we're very lucky. Again, it's the intimacy of Prince Edward Island to an extent which allows um, has allowed us to get to this point as quickly as we have. I heard Jim Harris uh, speak probably close to 10 years ago now, who, uh, I guess for listeners who, who don't recognize that name, was the leader of the Green Party before Elizabeth May, who was uh, responsible for collecting enough uh, candidates to field, at that time, 308 candidates, a full slate of candidates. I would have been um, You were one of them, okay. Uh, my sense then was that the, the goal was really just getting names on the uh, on the ballot in every riding to to be taken seriously yep. as as uh, a national force, but with no expectation that um, a- any significant fraction of those people would end up in parliament. And uh, going from where you're at, I guess, uh, being the sole member of uh, the PEI Green Caucuses uh, earlier this year to now having two of you, but both in elections, you could kind of very much concentrate your your support in one place to fighting in a general election uh, by any reasonable person's assessment you know there is a chance that you could end up in in government in uh the upcoming general election how do you i guess approach going from such a tiny caucus to to recruiting strong enough candidates across the province and actually being competitive in in all of those ridings, um, when it would seem, if I'm what I'm hearing you're, you're saying, is that the air game, your ability to sort of reach Islanders through televised debates, may not necessarily match the the ground game of having, um, you know, boots on the ground everywhere and, and strong candidates everywhere. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a very, very important point and one that was talked around a lot today, um, that when we were in previous elections, we were sort of a, a, a curiosity um, to a certain extent, <clears throat> people didn't pay much attention, and that's that's not true anymore. You know, we're a we're a considerable threat to the other two parties, and we're we're already seeing in the media and in the house that they don't they don't treat me quite the same as as they did in, initially, and I mean that's that's absolutely to be expected. But we're not going to get away with if I can put it that way, running candidates who are anything less. Than capable and credible and competent. That's just we're, we're it's we we have to show if we're a government in waiting, we have to put mm. forward people who are capable of running a government. And so, absolutely, um, almost 
job number one for us is to make sure that every single candidate that, that gets nominated, and we'll have contested nominations as we did when Hannah won in District 11 recently, um, that every single one of those people who is running as a Green Party candidate, I, would, I, can, I can imagine sitting beside them in the legislature, Prince Edward Island, and feeling comfortable in their abilities to make good decisions, to be rational people, um, to be open-minded, to be, you know, to be people of intelligence and integrity. And, and that's, that's going to be, a, I'm not going to say we can't do it. It's a challenge for every party, my goodness. Um, uh, it's not to say that, that every, uh, you know, every uh, candidate from all of the other parties is, you know, is, uh, I, I'll just leave that thought there, actually, Mark. But uh, yeah, sure. so I, I, what I care about is that every Green candidate that gets nominated for the next general election is somebody in which I and the and Islanders, more importantly, will have utmost confidence in. And that, um, Hannah, who got elected, uh, is an extraordinary human being. She is in just absolutely smart as anything, hardworking, and uh, you know, just all of the things that you would wish for in an elected representative. Uh, plus, she's just a, a super kind, compassionate, wonderful person, and we don't have enough of them in politics. So can we, I need... 25 more Hannahs, please. Um, of course, <laughs> we also need a diversity of voices. I mean, I, I think it's healthy in a democracy, in a parliament to have a diversity of voices. I also think it's incredibly important within a healthy organization, whether it's a political party or a business or a nonprofit or whatever, um, to also have a diversity of voices who feel that it's a safe place for them to express themselves and for their voices to be heard. And, and of course, that's tricky to do. Uh, political organizations are not knowing, known, excuse me, uh, ironically for their internal democracy. You know, there's a, there's a lot of parties that are run mm. uh, with, a, with a fist of, uh, of iron um, and some very top-down, um, uh, undemocratic principles applied. It's really important to me as the leader of the Island Green Party that that is not the structure of our party, um, and that's I mean one of our, our founding uh, values is is a grassroots participatory democracy, and 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 I have a very active council, a very active uh, shadow cabinet, all willing to present their ideas, and that that makes for very interesting debates within our caucus um, and and within our party. But that's exactly what I want. But. We will have, um, whether we'll field a, a full slate of candidates, I mean, that's our goal, but we will be going for quality rather than quantity. Maybe that's the quickest, easiest way of putting Hmm. I'm going to make this uh, my last question, because uh, I know we promised to to not keep you much longer than now. But I'm curious, just stepping back, I guess, from, from green politics uh, for a moment and just thinking of... Um, I guess the listener perhaps that is seeing themselves not necessarily in, in any of the established uh, parties where, where they are and knowing that you've had many campaigns worth of experience and now some time in the legislature. What would, I guess, the, the, the lessons you would share with your, your younger self, perhaps at the stage where you just decided to run in your first campaign? Well, I, I should tell you, Mark, that, you know, it, I was asked to run, and it won't be shocking to hear this, by the, by the mainstream parties a couple of times, and had no problem in declining their invitations because I never wanted to arrive 
uh, as an elected representative and to have my freedoms curtailed. I wanted to arrive as an MLA in this case, or an MP or whatever, um, and be able to truly represent my constituents, not, not to be some, not to have somebody standing behind me, tapping me on the shoulder or in a back room, telling me what I had to think, what I had to say, how I had to vote. Um, that to me was of, of no interest in politics. I wanted to come to it with my own voice um, and I wanted to truly be a representative of my constituents. And the only way I could see that I was ever going to be able to do that was through um, one of the, a party other than the mainstream parties. Um, the values of the Green Party absolutely attracted me. Um, I liked the long-term vision. I, like, I liked the, the principles on which their policies flowed. The fact that the each policy sort of sits comfortably and rubs up against the other ones without any, there's, there's no incongruence there. There's no, uh, the, the policies complement each other. They don't work in conflict, which you sometimes see in other parties. So there were, there were lots of things that attracted me to the Green Party, but the thing, I, the thing that kept me going through all of those elections was that, yeah, well, if I ever do get elected, and by the way, I was pretty well ready to give up and, and pass it on to somebody younger. But if I do, if I do ever get elected, then I, I want to be able to be, a, a, to be me, to be, I, wa I wanted to be myself. I wanted to be honest and I wanted to be who I am. And I had no idea, Mark, whether in, and I, I, I must say I have not compromised that at all. Um, but I did not know if I could do that and also be an effective legislator. I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know if my voice would be something that would be unpalatable for the electorate, or even if I could if I could withstand the sort of sometimes hostile and very nasty world in which you have to live and work as a politician. I'm a pretty sensitive guy, and uh, I, I knew what I was getting into. Um, but I have found after two and a half years that I can maintain my integrity, go at things the way I want to go at them, say things that, well, my last statement in the house just before I got thrown out was an example of that, that I don't want to be filtered. I don't, I don't want somebody to, well, I mean, of, of course, I, sh I shouldn't make it sound so simple because it never is in politics. You always have to take a hundred things into account, but uh, I wanted to be myself. I wanted to be authentic. Um, and I found out I can do that and I can be effective. In fact, um, I would say I would encourage anybody who who is driven into politics by wanting, I mean, this is going to sound cheesy, and, and but wanting to make the world a better <laughs> place, you know, to want to contribute to your community, which, you know, after all is what really politics is about. Um, if you really want to do that and you're not there to, to sort of fulfill any personal ambition, um, then, then it's possible. Um, I have no, I, honestly, Mark, I have, I couldn't care whether I get, uh, whether I become the premier of this province or not, um, what I do care about, the ambitions that I have, are for the ideas I stand for. Um, and so, whether Peter Bevan Baker gets elected or whether the Green Party wins, doesn't really matter to me. We're, it's 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 getting good policy to improve the lives of Islanders. That's what I want. And whether that comes from the Green Team or the Blue Team or the Red Team or some other team, I don't really care. Um, but if you want to get involved in politics and you have a yearning to maintain your, your, your integrity and your persona 
then then do it. It is possible. It's not easy, and you have to be patient, and you have to be <laughs> you have to be determined, and you have to have stamina. But it can be done. Well, that sounds like uh, a good note to end it on, Peter Bevan Baker. I appreciate you uh, joining us on the podcast, and you've been very generous with your time. And it sounds like you've had a, a long day, so we will uh, uh, again say thank you and and let you go. Well, thanks, Mark. It's been a it's been a real pleasure. I I so appreciate you asking me to do this, and I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks again. That was this week's episode of On the Record Off Script. Thank you so much for tuning in. On the Record Off Script is a podcast produced by Springtide, and we are a Canadian charity committed to helping listeners lead change through politics with their integrity intact. Find us at springtide.ngo, follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash springtideco, or on Twitter at springtideco. You can find me on Twitter at Mark Coffin, and if you want to send us an email about the show, you can reach me at mark at springtide.ngo. Subscribe to the podcast, search for On The Record Off Script wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're listening on a web browser, you can also subscribe for email updates in the sidebar. There are a couple things you can do to help the show. A big one is rate and review the podcast in Apple Podcasts. If you only have a second, just make a star rating between one and five stars. If you have a whole minute, write a one-sentence review that tells us and others why you plan to keep listening. It really helps the show. Share this podcast on Facebook. You can find an easy-to-share link at springtide.ngo slash pbb. Better yet, if you thought of someone during this conversation who you think might appreciate hearing something that was said, why not just send them that link directly? It's always nice to be thought of, so I'm sure that person will appreciate hearing from you. 